Hello everyone, welcome to God Talk with Tara. I'm Tara. We're going to begin with prayer and then get started for tonight. Father God, thank you so much for the day. Thank you for your movement. Thank you for your guidance in every small step. Thank you, Father, for your training that helps us, Lord, as we mature and as we grow to be able to take one step at a time in faith that each step, Father, you are going to carry us forward into your perfect plans. Lord God, I pray that you would watch over your children tonight, all of them who are struggling and who are mm, rejoicing. Lord, I pray that you would pour out your Holy Spirit on your people and that they would be awakened to your presence. I pray that each person, Lord, who is seeking you tonight would find you, that they would recognize that they are in the presence of the Most High God, the Almighty, and that it would bring upon them, Lord, the fear and trembling that we feel when we know that we are in the presence of your awesome grace and love and might. Father, I pray that it would bring a sense of worship in their hearts that would bring them near to you and turn them, Father, away from whatever it is that distracts them from who you are. And I just pray, Lord, that we would be filled to overflowing with your grace and your spirit, with your love and your joy, with your righteousness, Lord God, and with your truth. We thank you, Father, for all of the, that you do. We thank you, Lord, for your word and for your spirit and for your son. We ask all of this tonight in his name. Amen. So I was asking Corey what it was I should talk about tonight. Um, and, and he looks at me and says, I don't know. <laughs> um, which is, you know, I suppose an expected answer because it's not him that's supposed to be doing the talking. Um, but for the first time, I was really struggling with what it was I was supposed to talk about. Usually by the time I come sit down with my computer, the Lord has given me a clear understanding, um, even if it is only a word or a phrase. And this time it was um, right after I sat down. I still wasn't entirely sure because the things that are on my mind right at the moment are not necessarily things that I need to be speaking about yet because God is still working in them and on them. And, um, and he's not yet ready for that. It's it. I've, I've found that testimony is a progress thing. So sometimes when the Lord is working on things, he wants us to give everybody the blow by blow. But a lot of times our testimony is only effective after things are done. Um, so tonight I was, I was kind of struggling with, there are some things in Exodus and the story of Moses that God has really, really laid on my heart lately. Um, but it's not what I was supposed to talk about tonight. And yet it is the only thing in my brain all day today. So I was, I was wondering. And as I came into the bedroom to sit down, um, I grabbed a book that I'm reading for one of my classes. So my classes just started up again on Monday and I have a pastoral counseling class this time around, as well as a miracles class for apologetics, which is going to be really exciting and fun, I'm sure. And the first book we had to read for our counseling class was called Masterpiece. I don't, I don't know who it's by off the top. A Dr. Ken Nichols, Seeing Yourself as God's Work of Art Changes Everything. And we had to read the whole thing 
for the first week, which sounds like a lot, but it's really not. It's a fairly short book. It's, it's designed, it looks like to be like a five week Bible study. And it, it's meant to help us see ourselves through God's eyes and, and understand that God is creating something perfect in us through all of our experiences. And so I was like, well, maybe I'll grab that and, and skim it real fast before I get started. But that wasn't really where God led me either. It was, however, the launching point for what finally settled in my mind. Um, there's been a lot of talk with people about suffering lately. And I think in the, the U.S. church in particular, we struggle a lot with the concept of suffering. So last night we talked about betrayal. Tonight we're going to talk about suffering. Apparently it is my job this week to tackle the tough and difficult things and, and talk about the, the hard parts of Christianity. And I think the problem that a lot of people run into with Christianity, the way that it is perceived, I won't even say that this is the way it's preached in the pulpits because I think a lot of times it's not that pastors actually do try to speak to their congregations about the difficulties that are portrayed in scripture. And they do try to warn people that it is not all a bed of roses being a Christian. But the culture around us has really um, tried to categorize the, or I should say caric caricature. They've tried to caricature the Christian life as people believing that suddenly they have this savior in Jesus Christ and everything is going to be all hunky-dory after that and that they're never going to struggle and they're never going to have a hard time. Uh, and that's not at all what scripture tells us. If any, you know, if you've read your Bible ever, you will find that there is suffering from chapter three of Genesis all the way through Revelation you will find the suffering of God's people. You will find the suffering of God himself. You will find the suffering of creation in the pages of scripture. So there's nothing in the Bible, actually, that would indicate to us that suddenly, if we accept Jesus Christ as our Savior, we are somehow going to be better than every one of the disciples and that we are going to be um, set upon a pedestal and wrapped up in bubble wrap and never, ever suffer any harm. You know, there's a, a passage in scripture, and I don't have this one up because it wasn't what God brought to mind. But there's a passage in scripture where Paul says, you know, if he gave his own son for us, how much more will he give us? And I'm sitting here going, if he, say, he gave his own son to die on a cross, how much does he expect of us? If that was how God's love manifested itself, because we know that God loved Jesus, that the Father in heaven loved Jesus. But if God expected Christ to go to the cross, even as his beloved, only begotten son, that was what he expected do we really believe that he does not expect us to be willing, to be willing? We'll never be able on our own to do things like that. 
But God does expect us to be willing. And that is the true story of scripture constantly is that God expects us to be willing to do whatever it is he tasks us with doing and to rely on him for a joy that is never ending and for a peace that will surpass all understanding. And this actually is from that masterpiece book that there was this list that was in here. Um, I don't know where exactly that was, but there was a list of the, the things that we have as Christians, as those who are in Christ, um, that we have, mm, there we go. I love, I loved this list. So I am actually going to, to read a little bit of this. There were two lists in this. It was, some of them were I am lists, which struck me as kind of interesting given the, the name of God being I am. And that is actually my favorite name of God. And Jesus's I am statements. Um, God tells us many things that we can claim as I am. I am loved and I am forgiven and I am accepted. So there's a whole list of those, but it was the I haves that really struck me as interesting. Um, and one of the things that it says is a joy that can never be diminished, a peace that can never be understood, um, and hope that can never be disappointed. A glory that can never be clouded. Now, I want you to understand that as this author is talking about these things, these are all things that are grounded in scripture. They're grounded in things that God tells us that we have as a result of being hidden in Christ and filled with the Holy Spirit. And we have these things not because of our circumstances. And this is where we screw up as Christians. This is where we misunderstand who we are and we misunderstand some of the promises that the Lord has made to us. And a lot of that is because culture twists what Christianity is. And so there is a very shallow caricature in the culture around us that says that Christians are always happy and always upbeat and that nothing ever shakes them and nothing ever gets to them. And and that's not what the scriptures tell us. And it leads Christians to being fake and false and hiding themselves as a result of that. So I wanted to talk a little bit today about suffering. Because suffering is something that not only is it going to occur in our lives. Jesus promises this, right? He says, I have, I've told you these things, um, so that you may have peace in this life. You will have tribulations in this life. You will have trials and suffering and difficulties. Bad things will happen to you. Jesus flat out tells us in, in John that bad things will happen to us as followers of Jesus. Now, what he doesn't point out there that we can point out as Christians is bad things will happen to everyone. And scripture does talk about that. Scripture says that we live in a world that has been, that, that has been corrupted by sin. And so it is a fallen state. It's a fallen place. 
and bad things by definition will happen in the world. And so bad things will happen to us regardless. Jesus is saying that just because we become Christians doesn't mean suddenly that bad things are not going to happen to us. What it does mean is that when those things come, when those trials come, he is with us and we have peace and we have hope that goes beyond the resources of this world. In other words, we have access to the throne room of grace. We have access to the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. We have access to Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings. And we have access to a peace that is not ours. Okay, so when Jesus talks about the peace that passes understanding, that would be the peace that Paul describes as, as part of the fruit of the Spirit. It is a, a peace within us that derives not from us, not from our understanding, but derives from the Holy Spirit in us and growing the fruit of God in us. Um, and so when we're faced with this concept of suffering, we as Christians really need to start to understand what suffering is and how it is used because we as a as a culture in the modern age try very desperately to avoid suffering we have more painkillers than i can count as a means of avoiding suffering we have all sorts of medications for mental distress as a means of avoiding suffering we promote abortion as a means of avoiding children's suffering. Uh, that's actually an argument that is frequently made in favor of keeping abortion legal, is that women need to be able to have abortions so that unwanted children don't come into the world and face suffering, face the suffering of not being wanted by their parents. Um, we are a society that abhors pain. We abhor suffering of any kind. And as a result of that, we are actually squishy and soft and prone to a lot more suffering than we would have otherwise. Um, we have a an epidemic of obesity in this country. And part of the problem with obesity, actually there are multiple, so you're at risk for diabetes, you're at risk for heart disease, you're at risk for stroke, you're at risk for all of these things that should your body have a, a severely negative adverse reaction to how much extra weight you're carrying, um, you, if you're not dead, you're going to be severely debilitated as a result of that weight. Um, and yet, part of the reason that we have an issue with that is because we also have an aversion to exercise because exercise is uncomfortable and it causes us suffering. And so we have this mental thing where, oh, you shouldn't, it's a terrible thing that you're going walking. I'm sorry, you have to go to the gym because it's going to hurt. And it does. And I don't know if I have definitely gone to the gym. I don't know if you've gone to the gym, but if you have gone to the gym after you've not exercised for a very long time, everything hurts for a couple of weeks after you begin working out. Yet if you don't, 
you're prone to chronic back pain and chronic other kinds of pain in your body because your muscles are not properly formed and your body is not properly holding itself together. And so you end up suffering. So in our trying to avoid suffering, we actually oftentimes increase our suffering because we don't understand what suffering is and what pain is for. Um, and I think one of the things we don't get about that is that is a way that God gets our attention. And it is a way that he reveals himself to us. So the verse uh, or the, the scripture God brought me to today is actually in the Old Testament, which I was kind of excited about because we've been mostly in the New Testament when, when we've been talking. And I love the New Testament, but the reality is, is the New Testament without the Old Testament doesn't make a whole lot of sense. Um, so today, God brought me to Jonah. I've always loved the story of Jonah. Um, and I think sometimes we, we forget about the story of Jonah because I'm always, you know, I always hear people talking about how when a storm comes, it's, you know, the devil that comes and Jesus says, peace be still and, and all of this, that storms in our lives are always the enemy and they're not in scripture. So we're going to take a look at, at, at Jonah and we're going to look just at the first chapter, but we are going to read the whole thing. So buckle in for a minute. And if you want to join along, we're in Jonah chapter one. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. But Jonah rose to flee to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa. Joppa and found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish away from the presence of the Lord. But the Lord hurled a great wind upon the sea and there was a mighty tempest on the sea so that the ship threatened to break up. Then the mariners were afraid and each cried out to his God and they hurled the cargo that was in the ship into the sea to lighten it for them. But Jonah had gone down into the inner part of the ship and had lain down and was fast asleep. So the captain came and said to him, What do you mean, you sleeper? Arise, call out to your God. Perhaps the God will give us a thought or a thought to us that we may not perish. And they said to one another, Come, let us cast lots that we may know on whose account this evil has come upon us. So they cast lots and the lot fell on Jonah. Then they said to him, Tell us on whose account this evil has come upon us. What is your occupation and where do you come from? What is your country and of what people are you? And he said to them, I am a Hebrew and I fear the Lord, the God of heaven who made the sea and the dry land. Then the men were exceedingly afraid and said to him, What is this that you have done? For the men knew that he was fleeing from the presence of the Lord because he had told them. Then they said to him, What shall we do to you that the sea may quiet down for us? For the sea grew more and more tempestuous. He said to them, Pick me up and hurl me into the sea. Then the sea will quiet down for you. For I know it is because of me that this great tempest has come upon you. Nevertheless, the men rode hard to get back to dry land, but they could not, for the sea grew more and more tempestuous against them. Therefore they called out to the Lord, O Lord, let us not perish for this man's life, and lay not on us innocent blood, for you, O Lord, have done as it pleased you. So they picked up Jonah and hurled him into the sea, and the sea ceased from its raging. 
Then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. So I want you to pay attention here. So these guys that are on the boat are suffering alongside Jonah. But Jonah in particular ends up suffering here um, by being thrown into the ocean in the middle of a massive storm that the, that the Lord has sent. The Lord sends this storm. And I want us to understand that because we oftentimes believe that if we are in the midst of something very, very difficult and we're in the middle of suffering, that the Lord cannot have sent that because he wouldn't do that to us. That a loving and good Lord would not cause us to suffer is how we view this. And I want us to really, really contemplate that because it's not true according to, to scripture. Now, I want to be clear on a few things. The Lord does not cause us to suffer simply to cause us to suffer. He has no desire for us to hurt. That's not what I'm saying and that's not what we're looking at here. But we need to understand God's purpose when it comes to men and women. And honestly, to all of creation, but specifically and particularly to men and women. God's ultimate goal for us, his driving purpose when it comes to human beings, and his purpose from the beginning of the world for which he was willing to become a man, to go to the cross and die and be resurrected, his purpose is to reconcile and restore humanity to relationship with him, to right relationship with God. That is the purpose of God, and it overrides every other thing. Now, I want you also to understand God loves us, which means that he will not simply squish us into submission because a relationship requires our active participation with him. You can't have a relationship with someone who's not in a relationship with you. Um, so God is not going to force you. And yet at the same time, he loves you. He knows what's best for you and he will do things that from your perspective might not seem nice in order to bring you to a place where your highest good will be achieved. So I kind of always think of that like a personal trainer. I've never actually had a personal trainer, but I've known a few and I've known some folks that use them. And you get these personal trainers that sit there screaming in your face to make you push harder and grow more and do better. Um, or you get these personal trainers that, you know, will push you and push you and push you. You might be in tears and bawling and crying because every muscle in your body is vibrating and you're about feeling like you're going to collapse and they'll push you for one more set. 
And I oftentimes, when I think of God um, in this context of wanting our highest good and going to any lengths to get that highest good for us, that's oftentimes what I think of or kind of the analogy that comes to mind is that God will push us farther than we think we can go and oftentimes further than we want to go, at least on a conscious level. And there's a reason for this. He will do that because he knows that what we need is an unfettered relationship with him. He knows that what we need is the presence of God. And that's what I kind of want us to come back to. So I read this whole chapter because we want to get the feeling of the, the magnitude of the suffering that Jonah is dealing with here. So it's not just that he is in the middle of a storm. It is literally that he has to admit to these men that he's running away from God and that it might get them all killed. And then he has to insist that these men pick him up and throw him overboard into a tempestuous sea. And then he gets swallowed by a fish and he's stuck there for three days in the dark, in the belly of a fish. Um, this is not a comfortable thing. I imagine being Jonah, I would be concerned that I was going to die. I would certainly be hungry after three days stuck in the belly of a fish. I would probably be really smelly too. I would not have been happy with having the men of that ship pick me up and seize me and throw me into the water. None of these things would have been physically emotionally or spiritually comfortable. They all would have caused Jonah suffering to some degree or another. And honestly, the whole being stuck in the fish would have caused him suffering to a very large degree. And here's the reason why. We come back up, and this is really the line that caught my attention. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord. Now, Jonah was a prophet of the Lord. It doesn't tell us a lot about Jonah's background here. But being a prophet of the Lord typically would mean that you had at least more than a passing knowledge of the Torah, that you had spent time in the presence of the Lord in one way or another, that you had either trained in the priesthood with God's people or you had served with, with God. And so you had a relationship with the Lord. Otherwise, you really wouldn't hear from him very well. So the Lord is speaking to Jonah and Jonah knows who's talking to him. It's not like he doesn't recognize that it is the Lord that's come to him and given him this message for Nineveh. Um, and so Jonah must have at some point in his life loved the Lord. And he was a Hebrew. So he was a beloved child of God. He was a, he was a part of the people of God, the children of God. And so for him to be away from the presence of the Lord was in and of itself the greatest suffering 
that he could go through, even if he didn't know and understand that. And that is something that we as Christians need to understand, that our greatest suffering in life, even though we don't always recognize it, understand it, or know what to do about it, our greatest suffering is to be away from the presence of the Lord. Jesus Christ came and died on a cross in order for us to be able to be perpetually, permanently in the presence of the Lord. That is the absolute purpose of God in creation is to allow for his people to be in his presence. And it is the presence of God that keeps us from wickedness. It keeps us from dying in corruption constantly. It keeps us from being in bondage and slavery to our sins. We need the presence of the Lord. It is life and breath to us. It is what gives us our being. It's, it, you know, we move in the presence of the Lord and without him, we can do nothing, nothing of any significance. We will never do anything of any significance. We will never do anything good without the presence of the Lord. And so when we, in our sinfulness um, or our forgetfulness or our anger at God, in the case of Jonah, um, or our distrust of his plans, when we go with them to Tarshish, away from the presence of the Lord, sometimes the Lord needs to do things to get our attention. And sometimes it's not our attention he's trying to get. So I want to look at, you know, the other folks in this. The men who owned this boat were not Hebrews. They didn't follow God at that point in time. Um, and he brought a great storm upon them that was having them hurl all of their belongings into the sea to try to lighten the load of their ship. They're terrified that they're going to sink and that they're going to be killed. And so you have suffering here among the crew of this ship and they didn't do anything. And yet they were forced to suffer. And I want, to, I want you to look at that. So the first thing is they suffered so that the Lord could reach Jonah. And I want us to understand that sometimes our suffering is not about us. Sometimes our suffering is the means by which God will, will reach other people. Sometimes when we are suffering, whether it is loss, whether it is sickness, whether it is financial issues, whatever it is, when we are suffering, it is because the Lord is using our witness to his glory, his grace, and his presence in the midst of that suffering in order to draw someone else back to him. So the suffering of these men on the ship led to Jonah being led back into the presence of the Lord. So that's the first thing we want to take away from that. But the second thing you want to take away from that is what happened to the men. So after the men threw Jonah into the sea and they prayed to the Lord, let us not perish for this man's life. It's up to you, God. You brought this suffering upon us. 
you brought the storm upon us. We are doing what you have asked us to do through this man who says, this is what you want. We're going to throw him into the sea because he has said this. And the sea stops its raging. And then the men feared the Lord exceedingly, and they offered a sacrifice to the Lord and made vows. So right here we have an indication that these men responded to the suffering that they had gone through as God moved to reach Jonah. They responded to that in worship and in committing themselves to God, which would bring them into the presence of the Lord, which is for their highest good. So the Lord blessed them in their suffering even as he used that suffering for another purpose altogether that really didn't have anything to do with them. So that's the thing, the one thing we want to look at. Um, but with Jonah, the other thing God does is he uses our suffering to draw us back to him. Now, I've gone through a lot of things in my life. There was a time when I knew Jesus, I committed to Jesus, I was baptized, um, and I was excited about God. And this was when I was young, um, eight or nine years old. I was excited about God and about knowing who he was and about being in a relationship with Jesus. And I was excited until I got a year older and things went sideways in my life and I started to run and run and run. And I still knew God and I still loved God, but I was in rebellion against God and I was running. I was, I was uh, going away from the presence of the Lord. And in that place where I was away from the presence of the Lord, I found suffering because that's what happens in a world that is corrupted and fallen in sin is there's suffering in the world. And in that suffering, I searched all over the place for answers to that suffering, for a way to be happy, for, for the false things that the world told me I should be seeking that as a Christian, I should be, everything should be all hunky-dory and there should never be problems. And obviously because there were, then I either wasn't really a Christian or God really wasn't who he said he was. And it was okay for me to be running and it was okay for me to be sinning. And the further and further I ran, the deeper and deeper the hole got and the harder and harder my life got. And the harder and harder it became to find my way back to God until I finally came to the place where I was so miserable and I was so broken and my suffering had grown so deep in my heart and in my soul that there was nothing left to do but say, God, just throw me overboard. And then suddenly I found myself back in the presence of the Lord. And in every bit of that suffering that I went through in all of those years, um, a lot of it of my own making, 
And in the suffering that I have gone through with my husband when he was ill and the suffering that he has gone through, the Lord, when we give that to him, when we accept that sometimes, even though we don't understand it, that sometimes suffering is necessary for the plans of the Lord to prosper to prosper us and to prosper others for our good and his glory, that sometimes suffering is necessary for us to become who he has called us to be, for his plans to be completed, for the masterpiece he is creating us to be, to come into full picture. Sometimes suffering is required. Sometimes it will be our suffering and sometimes it will be the suffering of people that we love. And sometimes from our perspective, that suffering will be so deep that we can barely imagine surviving that suffering, let alone that there would be some purpose to it. But God promises us that he is with us in every bit of it and that he can take all of it and remake it into something beautiful and glorious in our lives and in the lives of the people that we touch. That is the promise of God. The promise of God is that the cross, we think of the cross as these pretty wooden things that are on the walls at churches. And I think maybe sometimes the Catholics have it right with their depiction and, and the crucifix rather than the cross. And I understand why as Protestants, we, we don't do that, that we focus on the cross because we focus on the redemption and the resurrection of Christ. But I think it is important for us to understand what the cross was. The cross was the epitome of the worst things humanity had come up with to inflict suffering on one another. The cross was Jesus Christ, that picture of the crucifix, bloody and torn, gasping for breath, dying. That was the cross. That was the Roman cross. And what we see in the Protestant church, that pretty picture of nice smooth wood, that's what God makes out of that ugly, rough, suffering death of Christ. He brings out of that eternal life, the gift of eternal life through Jesus Christ, the gift of redemption, the gift of sinlessness, the gift of freedom, the gift of the Holy Spirit, once again, being able to dwell in us so that we no longer have to be away from the presence of the Lord. God can take all of the dark places, all of the broken things, all of the suffering, all of the pain, and he can transform it into glory and beauty and freedom and grace and love and peace for a world that is dying in its brokenness and in its darkness and in its pain. But we have to be willing to give it to him. And we have to be willing to accept that sometimes God will let us hurt. Sometimes he might even make us hurt. 
not because he hates us and not because he's cruel and not because he's terrible, but because he loves us and he wants our highest good. And because he loves others and he wants their highest good. And redemption required the cross. Why would we believe that we will never suffer if our goal is to carry the hope of Christ to others? Father God, I thank you today. I thank you for the suffering in my life. It always baffled me, Lord God, when your word told us to thank you for our suffering and to thank you for our trials and to thank you for our pain. But God, I do. I do thank you because in those things, I have seen your face and I've seen your glory. And I have seen what you can do with the broken and the pain and the suffering of this world. Lord God, I pray that your people would understand the value that they would understand the value of their pain, that it is never wasted in your hands, Father God. That you can take every bit of it and carry it with them, Lord, that they don't carry that alone. That we were never meant to carry those things alone, Father. That you will use them, Lord God. That you will use their mistakes, their self-inflicted wounds, the wounds that others have inflicted on them. That you will take every bit and piece of those, Lord God. And you will create a brilliant, glorious story of your love, your joy, your redemption, and your peace. And that, that joy and that peace and that redemption and that love is unchangeable and unshakable in them, Father. Because when you take all the pieces of who they are and you create them, Father, into who you are making them to be, you instill in us, Lord... You, still, you instill in us the fruit of your spirit that cannot be moved or shaken in us. You give us the love and the joy and the peace of Christ himself in us. That doesn't depend on our feelings and it doesn't depend on our circumstances. It just depends, Lord God, on your presence. So I pray, Father, your presence for your people. I pray, Father, that in the midst of every piece of suffering that people are having at this moment in time, that they would open their eyes and see your glory and know, and know, Father God, that you see them, that you hear them, that you know them, and that you are moving in the middle of whatever it is to transform it from darkness to light to transform them, Father God, from darkness to light. We thank you, God, for the power to bring beauty out of ashes. We ask this in Jesus' name and by your spirit and all for your honor and glory, Lord. Amen.